Welcome to the Miami Sports Junkie Podcast. This is Dr. Struess. You can follow me at Philly Heat NBA. If you have not already listened to the multivitamin, uh, the series preview is still very relevant, even though one game has already happened. Uh, you can find that on any of the Miami Sports Junkie Podcast platforms, Spotify, Apple, Google, all those things. Um, but before we get into game two, I really want to look back at game one and try to see what the stats, see what the analytics tell us from that game that may help us preview and unlock what might happen in game two. Um, So starting with the four factors, you get those from cleaning the glass. It's a really good analytically based um, perspective of what happened in the game. So what we know is it was an offensive struggle. I think both teams are very good defensively, but it was simply an offensive struggle. And when you look at the Bucks' offense, 99.1 offensive rating is their second worst of the season. The Heat's 98.2 offensive rating, 10th worst of the season. So the Bucks were a little bit better. Both of them, not very good at all. When you look at effective field goal percentage, 46.4 for the Bucks, 46.5 for the Heat. So essentially the same. It was the Bucks' fifth worst number and the Heat's ninth worst number of the season. Again, you know, pitiful offense when you look at these numbers. Turnover percentage, very similar, 15.5 to 15.6. Both of them were just slightly above their season average, so not a lot to take from that. Uh, Offensive rebounding numbers, we know the Heat really don't even attempt to get offensive rebounding, so they try to limit transition, and especially against a team like the Bucs. So the Bucs were slightly higher. 29.3 is a little bit above their season average. Um, 22.7 for the Heat. The Bucs... When you, when you play the Heat, you're going to get more offensive rebounds just because of our size. Um, but all in all, it, it wasn't terrible, but it could definitely be improved upon. One thing I want to focus, though, is the free throw rate, which is going to be how many free throws you make per 100 shot attempts. So how often are you getting to the line? How often are you actually making free throws? The Bucks free throw rate was three points higher than its normal rate. So it's around 20.8. And that's a pretty good number. Um, for the Heat, 15.2 is five points lower than their season average. So you're looking at an eight-point difference there. And, and not necessarily eight points, like eight points on the scoreboard, but it's it's the amount of times you're putting your opponent in foul trouble and getting to the free throw line for essentially easier baskets. And when you look at where these fouls happen, one of the things I, I wanted to look at is, you know, who's getting to the line? Where are they getting to the line? Why are they getting to the line? And, you know, a lot has been said about Bam Adebayo's aggressiveness, and he obviously only shot one free throw. When you look at the Heat, they fouled six times on a mid-range shot. So that's 12 free throws from jump shooters in the mid-range that if you erase those, one, you flip the the, the whole script of the game, you know, that, that could be a heat win. And two, those are fouls that are unnecessary. Uh, you know, fouling three-point shooters is even more unnecessary, but six mid-range shooting fouls, that, that just doesn't make sense. Uh, you need to be more disciplined than that. All right, so for our next segment, we want to look at the areas where shots are coming from and try to diagnose that. So one of the things that both Milwaukee and Miami wants to do is limit shots in the paint. Uh, And you've seen that over the last two years of data. Uh, On Saturday, Milwaukee shot 32% of its total attempts within four feet of the basket. Um, That's right around their season average. Typically against Miami, they're around 25% of their total shot attempts, uh, so lower than their their normal average. Uh, When you stretch it out over two years, Milwaukee has shot below its season average 11 of the 12 games uh, in terms of uh, shot attempts within four feet of the basket so that's a key for Miami's defense is keeping them away from the paint Uh, like I said on the other side of the floor the Bucks really try to do the same thing they did a better job Miami only shot 18 percent of its total shot attempts within four feet of the basket so they did a good job of you know kind of sealing off the paint 
Um, you know, Miami is normally around 25 or so against the Bucks, and for the season around 32%. So very similar to the Bucks numbers again uh, in terms of shots at the paint. Um, the Bucks have held Miami below their season averages 9 out of 12 times. So, you know, you can see a lot of similarities in their defensive philosophies. So where are those shots then, if they're not happening at the rim, where are they coming from? And for the Bucks, a lot of those shot attempts are coming from the mid-range. On Saturday, you saw 39% of their total shot attempts come from the mid-range. In nine of the 12 games over the last two seasons, the Bucks have been above their season average shooting shots in the mid-range. Um, you know, for the Heat, it's not so much in the mid-range. Actually, our numbers are lower in the mid-range against the Bucs. Um, on Saturday, it was 33% of our total shot attempts, and 8 out of 12 games against the Bucks over the last two seasons, we've been below our season average. Where we increase our attempts is from the three-point line. In 11 of the 12 games against the Bucks, we've had above our season average of attempts, and we already shoot a very high percentage of attempts from the three. So that's you know kind of a, a, a key piece right there. We almost had half of our shots from behind the arc. Um, 49% of our total attempts on Saturday were from the three-point area. Um, and we shot it well. So that worked out well. Now, will we always shoot 40%? It's just above our season average. There's a lot of people making kind of a, a false claim that Miami shot, you know, it's lights out. Well, we shoot 39.3 for the season and we shot 40. So 0 0.07 is shooting the lights out, which is pretty crazy. When you're looking at accuracy, as we continue to look now, you know, not just where are the shots coming from, but where are they going in and where are we being effective? The Bucks, you know, we talked about them shooting a lot more mid-range, long mid-range, okay, those, those kind of deeper shots just inside the arc, uh, 12 to 16 feet. Against Miami for the season, they're shooting about 50%. And so, you know, philosophically, we're trying to force them into those shots. But unfortunately, especially this season, they're shooting them very well. Uh, and you can probably attribute that to their, their roster changes. Um, on Saturday, they shot 44% from those long mid-ranges, 40% from the short mid. Uh, so 41 overall from the mid-range. That's the difference in the game. Uh, I'm going to show you just two stats to compare. At the rim, Milwaukee shot 76%. At the rim, Miami shot 38%. Okay, drastic difference. Short mids, Milwaukee 40%, Miami 25%. Long mids, Milwaukee shot 44%, Miami shot 35%. And then overall in the mid-range, when you combine those two, Milwaukee's at 41.7, Miami 30.3. Those short shots, you know, 16 feet and in, is where Milwaukee really dominated and Miami really struggled. Um, you know, the highest percentage was 38%, and that's at the rim. You have to shoot a higher percentage there. You know, looking where did Milwaukee struggle? They have shot 17% on average from the corners this season against the Heat, and that's an area where we get burnt throughout the season. On Saturday, they made none. The previous week when we played them at the end of the regular season, 0%. Back-to-back -back games, they made no corner threes. Uh, meanwhile, we shot 63% from the corners. So that's really where we had our advantage and why the game was so close. Uh, Non-corner threes, they shot 19%. Not very good, obviously. Uh, we shot 35% from our non-corners. And so overall, you know, there, there was the big difference. Since we didn't shoot it well on the inside, and they did, we shot 40% from behind the arc. They shot 16%. You know, so you're, you're looking at that battle, and, and that's really where the game was won and lost is is their inside efficiency was better than our outside efficiency and we just couldn't make enough threes to really overcome that 
All right, our third segment, we want to look at these uh, half-court and transition numbers. It's one of the things we brought up in the series preview is that Miami does a good job of slowing Milwaukee into a half-court game. And then once it's into a half-court game, they really do a good job of squeezing Milwaukee's offense into a very inefficient offense. Um, unfortunately, both teams really struggled in the half court um, on Saturday. So Milwaukee was at 77.2 offensive rating. That's points per 100, but just in the half court. Um, Miami was at 84.5, so just slightly better in the half court. When you're looking at um, Miami, you know, last year we held them to 91.8 in the half court. And uh, this year it's an average of 99.1, so significantly lower um, efficiency when we slow them down into a half-court offense. Now, what can shift that, though, is offensive rebounding. And it's a problem that we've had over the course of, you know, really years now uh, because of the way that we construct our roster. When they got offensive rebounds, they scored 26.1 points for every 100 misses. Now, obviously, that's stretching it out. It's making it you know, a, a way to compare because they didn't have 100 misses, but that way you can compare game to game. Um, and that's why sometimes you know, your offensive rebounding numbers are somewhat misleading because if you shoot lights out, you're not going to have the opportunity to get offensive rebounds, whereas if you shoot so poorly – you're going to have more opportunities to get offensive rebounds. And so this this kind of makes it a, a more comparable stat. But it was the 12th best number that they put up this season, and they're a pretty good offensive rebounding team, and we really struggle in that area. So trying to limit as much as possible the offensive rebounds, and we'll talk later about where those offensive rebounds came from, uh, will we'll really continue to kill their offensive rating in the half court. And, and that's really where the game is going to be won with us. If we let them get fast into transition, it's really going to be a struggle. However, on the other side of the floor, when you're looking at transition, uh, it was really to Miami's advantage to try to go fast. And and it was talked about throughout the game, uh, you know, paying attention to different people's Twitter feeds. And, and I was in a, in a game chat. Miami definitely made a, an effort to try to play faster. You know, the efficiency numbers in transition were pretty similar as, as far as points added. Uh, but one thing I noticed was off live rebounds. It was the sixth highest percentage of possessions off of live rebounds. So what that means is, you know, when Milwaukee missed and we were able to grab the rebound, we looked to push off of that. It's much harder to get into transition off of uh, made baskets, but especially off of dead balls, meaning the ball went out of bounds, there was a foul, something like that, or off of free throws. So a live ball rebound, we got plus 3.7 points added per 100 possessions. That, again, was our sixth highest uh, percentage, 41% of our um, live rebounds turned into transition. So that's something to look into is, you know, that Miami knows that if it's if it's too slow, I think that that's advantage Milwaukee. We don't want to turn it into a track meet. Um, that, that would not be our advantage, and that's not what I'm trying to say. But definitely when we can get stops and we can push in transition and not let their defense get set up, uh, that's definitely to our advantage. And you can tell by the numbers, it's something that Miami looked to do on Saturday. And for our last segment, I really wanted to break down not just the team numbers, but look at some of the player numbers and, and what the, what story does that tell us? So starting with the Heat, uh, looking at the usage numbers. So usage numbers factor in you know your contributions to shooting, assisting, uh, and turning the ball over also. But shooting and assisting are your positive usage numbers. Jimmy Butler was at a uh, 33.5 usage rate. It was his 14th highest of the season. When Miami um, has Jimmy above a 32 usage rate, they are 12 and three. So this is one of the few times that Jimmy, you know, being that assertive, has resulted in a Miami loss. On the other hand, Bam Adebayo, 
18.9 usage rate. So remember, you don't have to shoot the ball for a usage rate to actually be good. Uh, you know, if you were, uh, you know, a, a great pass first point guard and leading to a bunch of baskets, that would contribute to your usage rate being high. Bam at 18.9 was his 12th lowest. When he is below 20 on a usage rate, we are five and seven. Now, I also looked into kind of seeing, okay, well, what if Bam's usage rate is really high? And that doesn't necessarily equal Miami success either. Uh, it's better than five and seven, but it was not like a, you know, when his usage rate is high that we win games. So, you know, Bam has to change his game. He has to be more effective. We'll talk about a second his shot efficiency, but you know, 18.9 below 20, that's not, he's not involved enough. That, that's a telling stat right there. He has to be more involved. The third player I wanted to look at with usage rate is Tyler Hero. And something I found was he had a usage rate of 28.7. So remember, Jimmy was 33.5, Tyler 28.7. It was his third highest of the season. When his usage rate is above 26.5, the Heat are 1-8. and eight. Okay, not good. So think about how much Tyler's shooting, how much he's involved in being maybe the primary decision maker. Um, You know, with those bench units, is the ball in his hands maybe too much? Three times against Milwaukee has his usage rate been above 26.5. So is it something Milwaukee's doing to try to force the ball into his hands and allow him to be the decision maker? We know he's not a great point guard. He's more of a a scorer than a point guard. Um, And and so, you know, I want to dive more into that. I wanted to get this episode out, but I want to keep looking into that because it's it's odd that his usage rate is that high. It happened the previous week, the last uh, second to last game against Milwaukee, and uh you know, obviously I got a lot of guys were out against him in that game, but it happened again on Saturday and I, I want to understand why that's happening. Uh so my second stat then is points per 100. So it's going to look at, you know, how many points are you scoring per 100 shot attempts. And again, you know, it makes it so it's a number that you can compare across players. So Jimmy Butler, 63 points per 100 attempts, his third lowest rating of the season. Obviously, you don't have to get into analytics to know that Jimmy did not shoot the ball very well. That number needs to get up. I think the shot attempts that he got were good. Um, He did shoot quite a few threes, and I know that's something that, you know, not a lot of people are happy with. He said that he's confident in the shots. He's going to take what's given. Um, I, I would I would like to see him drive a little bit more. There were a lot of times where it looked like he had a lane, whether he could get to the basket, whether he could get to his mid-range, or whether it could be a driving kick. I think nine threes for Jimmy Butler is a little bit too high. Um, and so Bam Adebayo, um, 60.0 points for 100 attempts is pitiful. Uh, it's the second lowest of the season, and his – lowest rating of the season was against the Bucks. So we're starting to see a trend. And I know it's been discussed about his struggles against longer players like Brooke Lopez, DeAndre Ayton, uh, Valanchunas. So it'll be interesting to see how he bounces back. It's one of the phrases that he likes to use on his Twitter. That efficiency rating, 60.0, is not good. Uh, that's not max player. That's not starting player. That's that's not Bam Adebayo. And so he needs to be better when he gets shot attempts to make sure that they're going in the basket. And uh, I think that he needs to be more involved when we talked about the usage rate. On the flip side, there were some good uh, efficiencies. Duncan, 171.4. That was his second best of the season. Goran, 147.1 was his third best of the season. So, you know, on one hand, we had some struggles. On the other hand, we had some good. So hopefully we can replicate those to guards shooting the ball well while also improving on Jimmy and Bam's performance. Now looking at assist numbers, um, Jimmy, Bam, and Tyler 
uh, Jimmy was around 30.8, Tyler 30.0, and Bam 20%. They accounted for 80.8 of our assists. Um, so, you know, those were the primary decision makers. And it kind of goes back to what I was talking about earlier with the usage rate. And I, I think that's why that number is a little bit higher. I would like to see maybe a little bit less Tyler there. Uh, I know Goran's numbers aren't going to be that high. He's not that that pass first point guard anymore, and he never really has been. Um, but, I, but I thought that was interesting to see Tyler's number that high. And, and I think it's, it's more to the story uh, that those three guys are going to be involved. And I think more Jimmy and Bam, but it's a number that we're probably going to get used to. So, you know, around 81% of our assists, they're the ones creating the offense. Um, and then the last thing I want to look at on the Heat side is not – who's getting the assist, but then when you're scoring, the assisted percentage. Uh, so Bam, he only had four baskets. Um, and so one of his four baskets were assisted. So 25%. And, and I think it's part of this is small sample size theater. So three of his four baskets were non-assisted. If you stretch that out to a, you know, if he had more, um, more scores, I want that number to be a higher percentage. I want the Heat running stuff for him. And, and I think that's one of the struggles I see with Bam is that he's not necessarily the, the person that's going to try to get after it, create his own shot. Uh, he, he more defers and tries to get other people involved. And so that's going to be interesting, uh, how, how the Heat use him, especially early on on Monday night. All right, and finally, just looking at the Bucks real quick, the usage rate for Giannis, Drew, and Chris were pretty much season average. There was nothing there that was, uh, you know, significantly outside their normal range. Um, one thing I did notice with their uh, shooting efficiency, so looking at points per 100 attempts, Giannis 78.8 was his second worst of the season. Chris Middleton was at a 108. That's around his average for the season. So while though he had a good game, uh, it was not that he was overly uh, effective in his shooting. Uh, I think we made him work for his shots is what I would say there. Drew Holiday right at a 100 was his 11th worst of the season. Dante DiVincenzo is a uh, 60.0. That was his sixth worst of the season. And then, you know, Brooke Lopez, 128, right around his average. Bobby Portis, 114, right around his average. Uh, Bryn Forbes, 100, below his average. Pat Connaughton, 100, average. And then P.J. Tucker did not score. He was at a 0.0, which is below his average, obviously. Um, So, you know, when you're looking at, you know, zooming out and looking at all that, nobody was really above their average. We made them work for their shots. They just did a little bit better than we did. You know, when we're looking at where we want to try to force their offense to go to, I think we're making Giannis work. I think we're making Chris Middleton work. Those guys are going to score baskets. Drew Holiday, being as inefficient as he was, could he bounce back? Sure. But I think making him a jump shooter is definitely in the Heat's advantage. Uh, forcing shots to go to Dante, who's not you know a, a prolific scorer by any means, uh, is definitely advantage Heat. I know a lot has been made of Brook Lopez. Um, he's going to get his points with switches and things like that. You know, if we can force him to become a jump shooter, it's definitely to our advantage. Same thing with Bobby Portis, Bryn Forbes. You know, if he gets hot, he gets hot. But I, I'm I'm living with every shot he takes, and especially because we can attack him on defense. So. You know, it's one of those things where it was definitely a winnable game. Uh, I, I'm not that concerned about their depth of scoring. It's one of those things where I think we need to play better offensively. And, you know, finally, just closing things up, we talked earlier about offensive rebounding. Where did the offensive rebounds come from? And, and I thought this was interesting is Pat Connaughton actually had the highest offensive rebounding percentage. Uh, he had 16.7, Giannis right around 12, Brooke right around 8. PJ five, Drew four, Chris two. So not not in terms of how many offensive rebounds they had, but the percentage of uh, of misses that they got. So, 
you know, looking at that, there's a long list of guards there. So Giannis and Brooke, they're big guys. They're going to get their rebounds. Sometimes you're going to give up offensive reboundings to their size. But we got to make sure we're cutting off the guards from the perimeter and not letting them get involved in the offensive rebounding. Uh, so that falls on our guards, not our bigs. Uh, so hopefully you guys enjoyed this. I know, you know, we're kind of a deep dive into these things and uh, looking at a lot of stats. In terms of what I think is going to happen tonight, I think, you know, there's going to be some adjustments made for Miami. I still don't think it's a must-win game. Uh, if we fall down 0-2, we're going home on Thursday. It's uh, then a must-win. Uh, you can't go down 3-0. So, you know, tonight I think it's competitive. Uh, I would hope that we win. Um, I think that Miami is going to make a few adjustments and hope that uh, the offense is a little bit better. I think you can continue what they did on defense. Um, maybe adjust a little bit and not have Jimmy spend as much time on Giannis, which seems to be fatiguing him a little bit. Hopefully the Heat can come out of Milwaukee with a win. If you get a split in the first two, that was what I said in my series preview, you're more than happy with what's happened so far. So go Heat tonight, and uh, we'll be back on Thursday with another Game Day Vitamins.